We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Liar. New England standing QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle, he dives, and he's in! Touchdown, 49ers! What is going on, folks? My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers from NinersNation.com. You are listening to the Strike and Gold Podcast. Before we get started, I wanted to talk to you real quickly about Blue Wire's most recent, most prominent sponsor, BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day, all right around the corner, BetOnline has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part? You'll receive 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. And what that means is, however much money you're going to put in there at the start, they're going to add 50% of that. So head on over to betonline.ag and use our promo code, BLUEWIRE, to revive your literal free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support your podcast, you're listening to, as in us at Striking Gold. Um, if, you, if you sign up, use the code BLUEWIRECORD, you're essentially saying that Striking Gold sent you. And that's how you support us. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE. All one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So with that being said, what's going on, folks? Like I said, welcome to another uh, episode of Striking Gold. My name, again, is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. And joining me tonight, as always, is my one and only co-host, Eric Freaking Crocker, how you feeling, dude? I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling good. How are you doing? I'm good, bro. I'm good. I don't know if I sound different or whatever. I got a I got a new mic, so you guys will have to uh, to let me know on Twitter how how I'm sounding and if it if it makes a big of a difference. But in the end, I still sound like uh, Kermit the Frog or Ray Romano. So I mean, it can't change. My <laughs> so, um, but anyways, how are you? Uh, how are you doing in your recovery from the 49ers' uh, failed attempt to win another Super Bowl? Um, yeah, I'm fine now. I'll put it behind. I think now, like, looking into all the draft prospects and receivers and ways to, you know, improve the 49ers roster, um, I've kind of, like, turned my focus towards that, and that's kind of helped me, like, you know, get over the whole Super Bowl loss and everything. So, yeah, I'm pretty pretty good now. Well, and the, the best thing about the NFL is, like, they really give you very little time to kind of rest on what just happened, even for Super Bowl winners, like the Chiefs. Like, we're already at the Combine now, and – 
anybody that wants to get better and continued success has to begin focusing on next season. So you really, there's really very little time to, you know, enjoy your win, you know, revel in the loss, whatever you're doing. Um, there's really, really very little time to do any of that. But we're going to cut right to the chase. What me and Crocker are going to do tonight is, and I, I'm assuming this might lead to some type of, you know, position by the position roster breakdown where we're kind of talking draft prospects, talking free agents, talking, you know, how the 49ers can improve and where, where that position group currently sits. But what we're going to start with is, is my favorite position and, and a lot of our listeners' favorite position, and that's wide receiver. Um, Crocker, as all of you know, he can do, has, has dug into the position group that's coming in from this year's draft class. He's broke it all down. He's got his rankings. He's got his skill sets. He's got his comparisons. He's done his homework vast, way, way more than I have done. Um, so today is going to look more like the Eric Crocker show than the Rob Lauder and Eric Crocker show. <laughs> um, you know, we're going to bounce back and forth. I've, I'm literally watching some of these receivers right now, and I had I started watching them a little bit earlier today, and I've got some takes. I've got you know some some feelings right off the get. You know, I feel like I've got a good feel for the position, but for the most part, Crocker's the one with the goods, you know, which is, of course he is. He always is. Um, but before we get there, one thing we did want to do is kind of talk about the 49ers receiver position and kind of where that stands and how we feel it's going to, you know, what, kind of how we feel it's going to develop, what's going to shake down, how it's, how, how's it going to look in, for the 2020 season. So, and there's a few scenarios at play that are really going to affect what the 49ers may or may not do at receiver. You know, there's there's a lot at play here, and there's a few factors. You know, I guess you could call them dice that need to be cast or chips that need to fall or, or whatever you want to call it. But why don't you uh, – what, what do you think is the biggest X factor? Like what needs to happen before the 49ers can really begin to plan for – for their receiving core next season, Croc. What do you think? What's your, what's the biggest thing? Well, I, I think first and foremost, you want to bring back Emmanuel Sanders. And I don't even think that should be an option. And my reasoning for that is, outside of Debo Samuel, who do you really trust as someone that can, like, you know, be a consistent uh, person that can, like, you know, make a difference in the game? And I think Emmanuel Sanders is the only one, even at the age of 32 or, you know, however old he is, um, I, I think one thing that he brings is that veteran leadership and consistency. And consistency is the biggest thing that the 49ers need right now because you, you can't depend on younger guys to con- to give you that, you know, game in and game out, right? Um, sometimes they disappear a little bit or whatnot. And I think sometimes if you watch the 49ers and Emmanuel Sanders disappears, I think that's more by design because, you know what, Debo Sanders is doing his thing. So, um, off, off, off back, that's the one guy I would say he has to come back and they have to sign him. Yeah. Emmanuel Sanders. Well, and, and, and to me too, it's the 49ers gave up. I mean, it's not a staggering amount, but they gave up a significant amount of draft capital to trade for Emmanuel Sanders. And, uh, I said this in a previous podcast, no matter, even if they don't keep Emmanuel Sanders, I don't think the draft capital they spent on him was a bad investment, especially when you consider the impact he had right when he stepped in and the run the 49ers made. You know, any team, if they know that they can acquire a receiver that's going to have a significant impact on their ability to, to make it to the Super Bowl, they, they're going to give up a third and a fourth round pick every day. If they just know that that guy is going to, to give them that edge, to give the offense that edge, to take them forward, and, and that's what he did. Um, so even if they don't keep him, I think it was a good investment. That being said, I'm right there with Quaker in the fact that I feel like you have to keep a guy like that. He just brings so much to the table. He's still talented. I mean, the moment he, he played over 80% of the snaps for the 49ers. He bought into the program. Uh, you know, he's a he's a veteran guy that still has – he's a veteran guy amongst a, a pretty young receiving group. So I think he has a lot, of, a lot to offer. And – I, I agree in the fact that he's the biggest X factor, the biggest, you know, what happens with Emmanuel Sanders is going to greatly impact what the 49ers choose to do in the draft. And that might seem like an obvious thing, but to me, right behind Emmanuel Sanders, and I, I say right behind, I don't really mean right behind, but Kendrick Bourne is a restricted free agent. And 
I don't see him going anywhere because the process for, you know, keeping a restricted free agent is not that difficult. You know, you can – first, it depends on the, the tender you can put on him. You can put a first-round tender, uh, meaning, you know, and, and meaning you're paying him like $4 million that season and another team can come along and sign him to an offer sheet. Then the 49ers have a chance to match that, and if they choose not to, that other team has to give the 49ers a first-round pick. So – you know, doing something like that with Bourne, you'd be paying him about $4 million, but you'd basically ensure that he's not getting picked up by anybody. Um, you know, and you can do a second-round tender, kind of the same concept, a little bit less money. I'm not, third, I'm not sure if there's a third-round tender, um, but then the last the last tender is original round, which in the 49ers' case, Kendrick Bourne's an undrafted free agent. So if they stick with the original round tender, they're going to pay him the least amount this next season, but... If a team comes along and, and offers Bourne a contract that the 49ers can't match, they would lose Bourne, and the 49ers would get compensated with nothing. So, uh, right. And with Bourne, he came along, and he's just developed He developed into the, the very clear number three receiver. The, he, it was Kendrick Bourne, um, Emmanuel Sanders, and Debo Samuel, almost every snap. They, you know, are not, excuse me, not every snap. For They were the three wide receivers that were always on the field. And the 49ers really began to lean on them. And so it's going to be a lot easier for the 49ers to keep Kendrick Bourne. But I still feel like what happens with him will depend, will, will kind of influence what's going on with the group. And there's some other X factors too, you know. And I want I, I, not you, because we were talking about it before we started recording, um, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, Jalen Hurd, the 49ers third round rookie and, and kind of where you see that? Yeah. So there, there were a few guys that kind of played it into like, you know, I, I was big on the 49ers not drafting a receiver this year saying, Oh, they're not going to do it. Um, you know, you bring back Sanders, you bring back Bourne. You also have, you know, Debo Samuel. Then you have guys that you want to see the question mark guys, right? You have Dante Pettis. Well, what's he going to be moving forward? You know, is he going to get out of that sophomore slump? You have Jalen Hurd. He was a third-round pick, um, missed the entire year with the injury. What You know, what's he going to be when he comes back? What's his role going to be? Is he going to come back? Um, and then you have Trent Taylor. You know, he had like five, six surgeries on his foot, um, he, but he was the best receiver in camp. What's he going to be when he gets back? Um, and then obviously, you know, other guys like Richie James and stuff like that. But my thing was – your, your 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 number one target is George Kittle. After him, you have Debo Samuel, and then after him, you have you have Emmanuel Sanders. Right there alone, that's three really good, solid targets. And then you have Kendrick Bourne, who's extremely reliable. Um, you know, obviously you bring him back. So that's four guys right there. So my my theory was, whatever you get from the other guys, if you can get somebody to step in. And you can kind of use Emmanuel Sanders as more of a bridge guy, then then that's a win, right? So you just need one guy to step up. Is it going to be Pettis? Is it going to be Hurry? Is it going to be Trent Taylor? You know, is it going to be Richie James? Like you know, we don't know, but if you just can get one of those guys to step up, you're in a really good position with five, you know, solid targets. Well, the the question marks just got a little bit bigger with one guy, and to me, that's that's Jalen Hurd. So. I'd say, what, like a couple weeks ago maybe now, um, Maddie Barrows reported that, you know, he hadn't seen Heard around the facility at all, like just hadn't seen him. Um, and he wasn't sure if he'd ever play football again. Now, my thing when I hear that is, like, Maddie's not just pulling that out of anywhere. Like, he's not just pulling out of nowhere, or he's not grasping, he's not a – He's never been a hot take guy. Um, he's just he's a reporter. So when he says something like that, in my opinion, he he's reporting this, and I don't think it's just because of something that he feels. I think it's something like he's heard. Um, that was my opinion when I heard that. Well, shortly after that, I want to say it was him, um, or somebody came out and said, "Hey, all of a sudden Jalen Hurd is he's cleared to play," and I think everybody in the Forty Nineers organization. Well, not organization, but at least the fan base take a deep breath. Like, oh, okay, Jalen Hurd, we get to see him. Like, he was exciting in preseason. Made a couple plays before he got hurt. Yada yada yada. His size, he has all that. Great, he comes back. Well, not so fast because they get to the the uh, the combine, and one thing about 
John Lynch. He's been amazing. And he's given us great insight. I think he's given us great insight almost like. I think sometimes he's just a little too honest. <laughs> so he decided to tell everybody Jalen Hurd is not clear. They they hope that he um, is clear by April. But, you know, his back stuff's lingering. And he didn't travel to the Super Bowl because he was worried about his back. Now I'm thinking, like, wait a minute. So Burroughs came out, said what he said. And then shortly after that, like a couple of days later, they were like, no, he's clear. And then John Lynch now says, no, he's not clear. So my what I was thinking was what Maddie Burroughs said was probably true. But 49ers PR department was like, hold on. We can't let that get out there. We don't want that to build up. Let's say he's cleared or, you know, whatever. Or Maddie just try to cover your tracks and say, well, you know, it's just pure speculation, which I don't think it is. Um, and the only, the only speculation here is that I'm thinking that the story is true. But that put a big question mark on Jalen Hurd. And there have been people that have questioned how much he loves football, how much he wants to play, um, you know, from his time at Tennessee, you know, and then transferring. Um, I have always heard that he's the hardest worker, but I, I don't know if that necessarily means that he loves the game. There are a lot of people that I've been around that they they play football because they're good at it and they still work hard, but they don't. They, that doesn't mean that they love it, you know. And maybe he's a guy like that. And with an injury like this to his back, maybe I was just like, uh, do I really need to play this? And I don't know. Now, now that's speculation. But what that what that did do for me is that kind of told me, I think the 49ers might need to bring somebody in. And as long as you have Emmanuel Sanders, you have a bridge guy. And what that allows you to do is draft and develop a, a guy. Or at least do almost like what they did with Kendrick Bourne, where once they got Emmanuel Sanders, Kendrick Bourne didn't have to be – I mean, not Kendrick Bourne, uh, uh, Debo Samuel. Once they once they got uh, Emmanuel Sanders, all the younger guys, you know, you could develop at your own pace now. And we saw Debo Samuel take that next step. Um, they can also do that with the draft pick now. Now, the issue is they've, they've used so much draft capital on receivers, whether it's the two – whether it was the two draft picks um, for Emmanuel Sanders, whether it was Trent Taylor's pick, um, the two two picks they used to get Pettis because they traded up for him, um, a pick for Jalen Hurd, a pick for Debo Samuel. I mean, they, they've used so many – a pick for Richie James. They've used so many draft picks. Will they use a draft pick in the draft where they have very limited draft capital? And I think that's the bigger question. So I, I think – Right now, the 49ers have a really good roster, and obviously, obviously they can bolster it in certain areas. Uh, but in the deep wide right receiver draft class, a, a guy that's really talented might fall to 31, and I'd be willing to take a guy there and maybe patch up the rest of my roster during free agency. Uh, what, what do you think about that? No, I mean, I'm right there with you, and I, I, I think that there's a very specific set of circumstances that could unfold. The, the 49ers receiver spot is in such a precarious spot. It could be very okay, and they could be – I don't mean okay as an indictment of the talent. I mean everything could be okay. They go into the 2020 season with the same three receivers that they were in the Super Bowl with, you know, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, Debo Samuel, and Kendrick Bourne. And, and there's also a, a scenario where – not necessarily their whole starting lineup because, like I said, I think no matter what, Kendrick Bourne's going to come back um, because he's just not that hard to hold on to. He's a restricted free agent. He's not an unrestricted free agent, so he's not going to be that hard to hold on to. Um, but there is a scenario where, let's say, and, and, and given we're talking about draft receivers and if the 49ers would go after them, let's let's just break this down, okay? Let's say the 49ers don't keep Emmanuel Sanders. He wants too much money. They're backed up against the salary cap wall. They are not going to be able to throw a lot of money to him if they're trying to keep George Kittle, who's going to set the market for tight ends, reset the market. You have DeForest Buckner, who would be among probably the top five highest paid defensive linemen. Then you have Eric Armstead, who's scheduled for free agency, who they could, you know, explore the franchise tag or a, a long-term contract with. 
you know, and the, then you got Emmanuel Sanders, and, and all three of those players I just listed could take precedence, or and maybe should take precedence over a guy like Emmanuel Sanders. So there's this, there's a there's a likely pathway where Emmanuel Sanders doesn't come back. So let's say that happens. Now you've lost Emmanuel Sanders. Um, I'm not going to go with the Kendrick Bourne leaving too. That is a worst case scenario. But like I said, I just see them keeping him. It just doesn't seem that difficult. So I think they keep KB. So I already think that they plan to part ways with Marquise Goodwin. Uh, you can, you know, he spent the last part of the year on injured reserve. And even before that, you know, he was inactive for a game and, and wasn't playing a role and is making too much money for, for that kind of production. So I think he's gone. Uh, let's say Jalen Hurts. So now, you know, we've we kept KB. Marquise Goodwin's gone. Let's say Jalen Hurts' back is injury is actually pretty significant. And he ends up stepping away from football. Now, again, just to reiterate, this is not a report. This is exploring the worst-case scenario and why the 49ers would make a significant investment on a receiver in the draft. Okay, so let's say Jalen Hurts' back injury is a lot worse than anticipated. Maybe he doesn't want to keep playing football. Maybe he does, but the back injury keeps him from doing it, so now they no longer have their third-round pick from last year. Okay, um, Richie James sticking around. Jordan Matthews, free agent. I don't necessarily expect him to come back, but as you can see, there's a chance. Dante Pettis. Doesn't take sticking around, doesn't really take another step forward, isn't necessarily a guy they want to throw out into the starting lineup, even without Emmanuel Sanders. So, you, you know, let's say he stays what he is now, which is like the fourth wide receiver, fourth or fifth. And then you have Debo Samuel, obviously coming back. Didn't bring back Emmanuel Sanders. Let's say Trent Taylor, who is finally getting out of his walking boot, isn't expected to... You know, he's medically cleared and, and begin practice. Uh, he's obviously dealt with very significant injuries. And he has he's had five different surgeries to repair his broken foot that he suffered in training camp. Disappointing considering how good he was in training camp. But let's say that that continues to plague him. And either the 49ers have to part ways or he just continues to struggle that, with that injury and doesn't have a huge impact. So now you've essentially got Debo Samuel and Kendrick Bourne. And that that's it, you know. If, if you're if you're considering all those scenarios where her doesn't come back, Pettis really doesn't take any steps forward. That's really all you got. And again, just reiterating, that's a worst case scenario. So now you've got a deeply depleted wide receiver core. In it, you know, you know, in contrast to uh, you know, with very little sway along the curve, it, the, all these guys could come back and be okay. So the, the, there's just this huge swing of possibilities for the group of receivers. And if it swings towards that worst-case scenario, then I think the 49ers wide receivers could be one of the most obvious you know, position groups for that 31st pick. So there's just there's a crazy amount of things that can happen, but it's just not that far-fetched the 49ers would see receiver as – one of their biggest needs in the draft. It, you know, it's just, there's it, just, they could be perfectly okay and everybody comes back and they're able to re-sign Sanders and, every, you know, everything works out with the other guys. But, you know, it, it could easily not happen. So I'm starting to ramble a little bit. So moving on. <laughs> Let's say that, that that stuff happens, that, you know, that and even if it's only part, part of that stuff and they need to, they feel that they need to go receiver. Let's just say at number 31. I think the 49ers are going to do their darndest to trade back and maybe, you know, trade into the second round and get a third or, you know, maybe get two thirds, whatever the, the, the compensation would be. But if they stick at 31, Crocker, who would be, and, and we'll go over the kind of the rankings as a whole, but if, if they stick at 31, who would be kind of that one person on your list of prospects that you feel the 49ers would really consider? So, so me personally, I really like um, T. Higgins, and I, I don't know. I mean, I've seen him drafted as high as, you know, top, you know, between like 15 and 20, and then I've also seen him, you know, mocked in the second round. So I think there are a lot of people that don't really – there, there's some people that really like him, there's some people that don't. Well, I, I end up being one of those people that really like him, and I think – when, when when I watch him, 
think he just does everything that I need him to do, that I want him to do. Um, I think there's a lot of things that people are missing in his game because they don't quite understand exactly what they're looking at. Um, I've heard people say that he can't separate. Uh, he's not a good route runner. Uh, he will struggle downfield to beat guys. And I think all of those are completely false. It reminds me a lot of the whole DK McCaff thing where people kind of took a certain narrative and kind of ran with it. And th- this is very similar to that where they're they're kind of um, putting T. Higgins in a certain, uh, like, oh, he, he, he won't be able to do this or do that. And I'm like, well, no, he, he runs – actually, he's pretty fast. And, no, he actually runs really good routes, and he separates him at the line of scrimmage. Um, I think my biggest issue with him was I didn't know how strong he played. But the more I watched, the more I kind of saw that too. And I'm like, man, like, this is a lot – not on the same caliber, but a little reminiscing of A.J. Green when he was coming out. I see a similar type athlete, uh, similar type ability. I'm thinking A.J. Green might be a little just faster, like just down the sideline. But I, I see a really good athlete, and he, he go gets it. Now, there's a lot of people that want him because he's tall. I'm the last person that wants a guy just because he's tall. Um, if you know, I just want good receivers on the 49ers. And I think he's a good receiver that brings a really good skill set, has nice speed, nice routes, good body control. Um, terrific hands, jump ball ability, 50-50 ball guy, um, plays strong. And he's actually solid in um, after the catch, but maybe not quite as good as what some of the other guys like Debo Sam, uh, Sam, uh, Samuel, um, maybe not quite that after the catch, but he's really good. He's really good, and he's a really good deep ball threat. So um, there's a lot to like up about T. Higgins, and something's telling me that he's going to be there around 31. Well, and just to uh, just to kind of add the surface-level stuff, because that's all really I'm good for at this moment, um, just because I haven't had as much time to get into receivers. I did watch T. Higgins, though. T. Higgins is one of the first guys I went to, just because Clemson, Clemson went so deep in the playoffs, and I had plenty of opportunities to watch him. And I was, I was kind of leaning more towards Crocker's evaluation in that he's a big dude, but he moves pretty well. And I, and I saw a lot of sudden movements. And he wasn't shy. He was, you know, he was he was catching the ball well with guys near him or on his frame, and he just seemed like a guy that was kind of game. And his last season at Clemson was really really impressive. Um, if you want to check him out, I believe he wore jersey number five. Yes, he did. So he's number five on Clemson. Um, he was easily their most targeted wideout um, last season, his junior year. Uh, this this last season, he had almost sixty catches, fifty nine catches for. Uh, 1,167 yards. He averaged 19.8 yards per catch, which is very significant. And he also scored 13 touchdowns, which is what you're looking for. Um, and that's that's on top of the 12 touchdowns he scored as a sophomore. So he's he's definitely a guy that's going to give the 49ers an added presence when you're nearing the you know the red zone but that the thing about that is 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 i do think he's he could be a jump ball guy a guy that just goes up goes up and over people and get it but he's very very good he kind of like his size kind of disguises his quickness um anytime you have a guy that big they usually have bigger strides and they look like they're going a lot slower than they actually are and t higgins does a really good job of getting behind defensive backs and stacking them and and they really, he really forces them to respect that speed. And you'll con, you constantly saw defensive backs kind of play pretty far back on him, you know, ten yards plus at times. Um, he did, he did face some press, but he he forced them to respect what he was able to do downfield, and that opened up a lot of little things. He's got some decent short area quickness. You know, they Clemson liked to just dump the ball off to him and see what he could create. Um, he was pretty good at making the first couple guys miss, but, um, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure, you know, before, before I make any, before I claim this type of stuff, what do you think Crocker is, you know, maybe a couple traits, what do you think are Shanahan's, Kyle Shanahan's most valued traits out of his receivers? Just from seeing what they've drafted and how they use them, what do you think are his most valuable traits that he's, as as he's looking at these prospects, what is he looking for? It, to me, it looks like lateral quickness. When you look at somebody like, you know, even Kendrick Bourne, who had a very slow 40 time, I think he ran in the four sevens. But look at his three cone, is terrific. 
Um, Debo Samuel, obviously he ran a four four eight, I believe. So you know, you know, he can run, and we've seen his miles per hour go up. But even him, his his shuttle was he had a good shuttle, um, a, a three cone. So I think that's something that he's really looking for a guy that can change directions. Uh, Jalen Hurd, you know, we just talked about him. His three cone was terrific. It was like through the roof. So I think he, you know, uh, same with uh, Trent Taylor. So I think he's definitely looking for that. And I think if a guy has, like, you know, stuff on top of that, I think you know, obviously, like, you know, he ended up valuing that even more. But, uh, yeah, I think that's the one thing that he really wants to see. What's your lateral quickness? What's your lateral ability? And and I, I don't know what – Higgins looks good. He's a very fluid mover. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say that he's, his three-cone would be good, even for somebody that's 6'4", 216 pounds. Well, the the big thing too about lateral quickness is it is it and it, and I think you're you're dead on with that is the fact that it lends itself to two other traits that you can tell Shanahan greatly values, and that's your ability to separate in your round and your ability to create yards after the catch. And every single receiver that Shanahan has is is pretty good at doing those things. Debo Samuel, great routes. Kendrick Bourne, great routes. All these guys are very good at creating separation and then doing making people miss after the catch. And, that, and like Crocker just said, that has a lot to do with your lateral quickness, your ability to either separate in your route, you know, get a clean break and get off the ball and create quick separation, or once you've got the ball, make somebody miss and get upfield and, and do your thing. So, and I think that's probably a, a good bet on what his most valuable trait is. So when you're watching receivers, and this is to anybody listening, whether or not you can scout them or not, or you know what traits you're looking for, just look at their ability. Look how much, you know, look at their ability to separate. How much space is there between them and the defensive back when they catch the ball? And look what they do after the ball. And I think that's probably going to give you your biggest indicator on how much Shanahan values them. And that's not to say that Shanahan's not interested in a receiver that cannot do that. But I feel like the receivers that he ends up picking can do that. So, you know, it's it's just a, it's a little bit of an indicator of the types of guys he likes. Now, there are some, there are some guys that the 49ers essentially, I say essentially, cause, but, but things do change. There are some guys that the receiver that the 49ers really have have no chance for that you know that that aren't going to be there, um, and I say that knowing that things could change like I just said. But you know, why don't you? T- I, the big three that stand out to me, Crocker, is Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, and C.D. Lamb. Those to me are the big three that don't have very much variance in where they're ranked. They're usually the top three. They're the, the, the biggest, most prominent receivers that have the biggest impact on you know for the biggest schools. And, so, you know, they, they have everything, and they have a lot of positive things. Why don't you just really quickly break down those three, like, and you don't have to spend a lot of time talking about each one, but what has earned them that spot of just being up where they are? I think that, you know, they're just really good. And then they all have, like, kind of like a special, special trait. So when you look at, you know, a guy like Jerry Judy, who, you know, most people have him as wide receiver one in this class, his ability to get in and out of cuts is at, like, an elite level, um, whether it's with the ball or without the ball, you know, being able to create separation and also stretch the field. It's almost like kind of a Chad Johnson, um, you know, that type of ability to be able to stop on the dime and, you know, catch the ball, you know, change direction, foot in the ground, go this way, explode, you know, and also still beat you over the top. So um, he's special in that way, and I think that's why most people have him at number one. Um, you know, C.D. Lamb, he's another guy that people have uh, near the top, you know, definitely in their top three, if not at wide receiver one. And he just has an ability to just come down with the ball no matter where you throw it. Um, he has terrific hands. He's a great. Uh, he's great at catching the ball in traffic. And then he – I don't know how he does it, but he has this ability, to, like his run after catch, where he – doesn't look like he's like super quick or moving really fast, but then the next thing you know, he's you know finding himself in the end zone. So, um, CD Lamb has a special you know ability with that, especially when the ball's in the air. It's almost like DeAndre Hopkins, like not nothing. I don't really compare him to Hopkins and say he's going to be like that, 
but just in the sense of a guy that when you watch, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, like, what does he do really well? Well, he, he just catches the ball well with people, you know, kind of draped all over him. And that's kind of what CeeDee Lamb does. And he has really good ability after the catch. Um, and then there's Henry Ruggs, who might be the fastest, most explosive player in this class. And he measured in very well. He was 5'11", and, and I was really blown away by that. I thought he was going to come in around, you know, uh, 5'9.5", 5'10". But 5'11", for him, really good. I wanted to say he was a shade under 190 pounds, which that, that that's fine, especially with the speed that he um, has. And, I mean, it, he just he, – he outruns angles. Now, I, I think when people think of, like, just a speed guy, they think of maybe, like, uh, John Ross. Well, well actually, I, that, that's a bad example. I thought John Ross was pretty complete coming out of Washington. But, you know, they think of, um, you know, Corey Coleman, right, the, the guy the kid from Baylor. Um, who hasn't panned out. Well, he's not that man. He's a terrific route runner for the most part. He can improve in certain areas, um, especially like getting off the press and things like that. But um, he catches the ball well. He runs a full route tree. Um, after the catch, he, obviously he has like he's really special on the same level as like a, you know, Tariq Hill with how fast he can go from zero to 60. Uh, but, yeah, th- th- they, those guys, they have some like elite traits that really separate them from other guys and it's like, well, you know, I can't get this from somebody else. Not not as consistently and at as high a level as we saw them do it at the collegiate level. Now, if 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 everything kind of maintains its current tracking, those three are gonna be gonna be off the board probably half a round before the 49ers pick. It would not surprise me in the slightest if all three of those guys were gone before pick fifteen. Uh, they're all, and I, and I think they're all very, very talented. And in a different receiving class, I feel like each one of those three guys could be the number one receiver. Um, I, you know, I can't go back and, and place them in, in other classes, but I feel like they all have the ability to be the first receiver off the board. Now, I think if you're looking for the freak, that's got to be Jerry Judy. He's just the dude is fast. He's big. He's got great hands. He moves like like you'll you'd be tough to find. Any football player, period, that moves better than that guy, he would have. He could have been so many. Like he could have played so many different positions and probably been amazing at them. You know, if if he would have gone a different route and started to bulk up, I guarantee you the guy would be an incredible pass rusher. And you know, if or if he wanted to be, the guy is just so fluid with his body and is in complete control all the time. And yeah, like you said, I like what you said about Ceedee Lamb. He's just. The, the guy that catches the ball. like and there, He made so many ridiculous one-handed catches. It's just, he's just that. And I think DeAndre Hopkins is a good comparison for him because they're both right around the same size. They both um, have the speed necessary to threaten, you know, wherever on the field, whether that's deep, you know, over the middle. Uh, someone that you have to respect on the short game too. Somebody that could just take a screen and, and make you miss and, and take it where they want. So, I like all three of those guys. I, you just know that, that unless something comes out that you never hope you want to hear, something negative, you know, whether it be injury or off-the-field stuff, those guys are going to go long before the 49ers pick. So let's say that the 49ers, if they're at pick 31, you would think they're taking – and they do go receiver. You would think if he's available, it would be somebody like T. Higgins, right? C- correct. Okay. Now, there so, are other guys that people like, like um, Jalen Rieger. Um, I know people are really high on him. Uh, LaVisca uh, Chenault, I know people are really high on him. Um, I mean, it, it's a really it's a deep class. So, um, you know, Ayuk from Arizona State, uh, you know, I like him. What's, yeah, the, guy that, what's the guy that people like a lot that you don't really care for? Oh, uh, definitely Chenault. What about him? Um, so, I mean, as you know, and I, I say it all the time on Twitter, I don't watch highlights of these guys. Like I can, like my right-handed guy, I have not watched one highlight reel of any of these guys. So when I'm watching them, I just watch them and I make notes. I just, you know, I pull out my iPhone and, you know, I just kind of start writing what I see. And when I go back and look at my Chenault like uh, uh, notes, they're just not very good <laughs> compared to other guys. Um, I was struggling to find things that I really liked with him. 
Um, I would say the one thing that I, I, I did like was I thought, you know, against zone coverage, I thought he did a good job of finding soft spots and catching the ball very well. And after he caught the ball, I thought he was good um, in, in the sense of being, like, tough. Um, where where I thought he would struggle is in the NFL against man coverage. Uh, at, at the line of scrimmage, I didn't see him do much to try to free himself up. I um, also didn't see him try to do much at the top of routes. I think he's a little raw in that aspect. Um, I see a lot of people comping him to Devo Samuel. I think that in college they were kind of used in a similar fashion, but I don't think their ability was the same. And I think that he – he uh, what helped him a lot was playing in a weaker conference, like the Pac-12, which – I love the Pac-12, and I, I want them to be good so bad. But right now, they're just so bad. <laughs> so, you know, he, he had a couple big plays um, against some what I thought was, you know, just kind of a little bit more poor, poor defense compared to what I saw some of the other guys have to play against, like the Alabama guys and even guys like T. Higgins who, you know, played against, you know, like Ohio State and, you know, some of these guys in the uh, the the Big Ten. Uh it, it it just was watching him. I was just like I, I I don't see what other people see. Now I see it like and I again I don't watch highlights, so maybe I didn't get to games where he had these like big explosive plays. I did see some here and there, like just throughout the year. I saw him have a big play against uh, USC, I believe it was, where he kind of like ran the guy over and then ran into the end zone. Um, like it was like a long, it was a long play, like really long play. Um, I did while watching film on him against U- UCLA. He ran a post and scored. But some of those things is like, what's what's consistent? Like, And, and that's what I look for. I look for traits that are going to be consistent and translate to the NFL. And I just didn't see him have too much of that. I, I didn't see enough twitchiness. Um, I didn't see enough um, making guys miss uh, in space. And, you know, and, and what I'm saying is I'm saying, like, on a consistent basis, not just, like, a one play here and there because I don't cherry pick plays. It's like when I sit down and watch a game, what do I see him do over and over and over? And I feel like, you know what, I can bank on him doing that at the next level. And there weren't a lot of things that I saw from that aspect that translated. So that's one guy who I see some people have him in their top five, and I don't even have him in my top ten. Now, with that being said, what is and one of the guys that I, and I'm looking at your rankings here, uh, Jalen Rager is is pretty low on yours, and I've seen some guys who have th- him as like the, their fourth guy, you know, maybe a, a mid to late round first or late round first. That's that's good English, Rob. Uh, <laughs> a mid to late first round guy. What what do you see in him? One that would make him that type of a guy. And then what do you see in him that, that kind of keeps him down there towards the, the back of the top ten for you? Yeah, uh, you know, again, I think I think some of these guys are getting pushed down because I, I think the top, especially the top four, are really talented, where the, these top four maybe would have even been my top four last year, and that would have pushed down like a DK Metcalf and, uh, you know, A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel. Um, with Rieger... And again, I don't watch the highlights, so I hear it, you know, about how explosive he is. But watching, just watching games, I didn't see that consistently jump out to me. Um, now I think Rieger might tell you the same because I saw him tweet out, you know, people people want to forget about my 2019 season and or 2018 season or whatever it was, and they want to get on me for having a down year. Like I'm gonna show you, it was something along those lines. So I think maybe even he feels like he had a bad season or not as good as he could have been um when I watched him again I I go back to consistency and what I see over and over and over and how does that translate and I I did not think that he ran his routes uh very for somebody that's like a little squattier and thicker um almost built like a like a like like Odell a little bit like a 5'11 200 pound type guy um I didn't think he showed, like, just great elusiveness. I didn't think that he made uh, the first guy miss enough. I I, I didn't think that he won enough with his routes. Um, 
I didn't see uh, enough of like the the like you know like catching a dig route and getting you know big chunk yardage after, especially for a guy who's supposed to be a speed guy. Um, those were things that I didn't see consistently to where I had him at eight originally, and then I even bumped him down a little bit more because I put Hamler in there. Now, I don't know if Hamler's going to go before him and we'll see after the combine, kind of really on the tiny side. But I thought, Hamler, I'm like, man, he's playing extremely fast. And and there was a noticeable difference between how Hamler ran his routes, how he set himself up to get open. Now, he, he did benefit as well from being in a slot more, especially for a tiny guy. He was in the slot more. But I, I thought he looked tough. He made some contested catches over the middle. Um, I, I thought he ran his routes hard every single play and those were things that I didn't consistently see from Rieger so I kind of dropped him a little bit now another team might say you know what we'll get him to run his routes full speed all the time and if you can do that maybe you do get the guy that you're looking for in him I just didn't see it consistently and the fact that he did have a drop off from you know the year before to this this past season why is that did you not work hard did you, you know, did you think, hey, you arrived and you didn't have to continue to do the things that you did to get you on the radar? So those are things that would kind of be a little worrisome to me. But I, I think there is a skill set there that I do like. I, I just need to see more consistency from them to have them ahead of some of our other guys. Now, just to kind of wrap this up, let's say the 49ers do get a, a an offer worth trading back out of 31. You know, let's say they're not impressed with the options at 31. Someone's offered them, uh, you know, a, mo- a move to get up there. And the 49ers trade back into, like, the, let's say, the top third of the second round. And, you know, if they do that, a lot of teams are going to be love to trade into the back of the first round, especially if they have an early second rounder because you gain that fifth round option. You usually don't have to give up something terribly valuable, maybe a third round pick, to get up there. Um and that gets you the fifth round option, where if you know receiver, you know, and I say receiver, if the player is having a a great rookie contract, you can keep them on for that fifth year for a, a discount versus what you're going to have to re-sign them for. So uh, the 49ers, given they don't have a second round pick, given up for D Ford, they don't have a third round pick, given up for Emmanuel Sanders, uh, they don't have a fourth round pick, given up for Emmanuel Sanders. Well, and, and I say given up for Emmanuel Sanders on the fourth rounder, but in reality, it moved back just a few, you know, a, a short. Not a few spots, but just a little bit, and became a top of the fifth round. So the 49ers go from a late first round pick, and then they don't pick again until the top of top of the fifth round. So there is a very, very good chance that the 49ers entertain trade offers to trade out of that 31 spot. Now that doesn't mean that there's not going to be this best player available, uh, apple of their eye guy that falls to them, and then they just turn down those trade offers and take who they're going to take. But let's say they do trade back. Who is somebody kind of like maybe towards the bottom of your top ten or maybe just a little bit below that that you feel like could be available for that pick? And maybe it's somebody that that you like or maybe you're warming up to and or maybe it's somebody that you feel like a lot of people are overlooking. Who's one of those later guys that you really feel like, okay, I would still be pretty excited. I mean, they got Debo Samuel at the top of the second round. So let's say they're picking right around there. What's the guy that they could get who, who might be able to step in and have, I don't know, a similar impact? I think Michael Pittman. Um, I think his body, He, I think he's NFL ready. Um, I think he runs his routes hard. I think he's getting overlooked because of the whole East Coast, West Coast biasness. Like, how many people watched USC this year? Um, you know, he was consistently catching passes from, uh, like, true freshman guys, whether it was last year with JT Daniels, or this year um, with the true freshman that played, or I think it was a true freshman, or maybe a freshman, but, I mean, he's playing with these young quarterbacks, and I, I think a lot of that kind of hurt his exposure, especially with USC not being, well, you know, it had been, you know, in the past or whatever, even when, like, Sam Darnold was there. Uh, but Pittman was really good, man. I mean, he was a big-body guy. He moved extremely well. Um, I, I think for him, you know, how high he's going to go is, really based a little bit more on his 40 time. But, you know, I, I think he's more of what you were hoping you get with, like, a guy like Hakeem Butler, right? Everybody loved Hakeem Butler, the big, you know, 6'5 guy. You know, he ran a four four eight, but he didn't play fast. 
Like, I didn't think that Butler consistently played fast. And I had, I made the mistake of putting him in, like, my top five off of what I think he could be. And I kind of went away from that this year and just went with more of what do I see with these guys. And with Michael Pittman, I saw consistency. Um, I, I saw really good possession guy. I saw a go-getter when they threw the ball downfield. Um, I mean, he, he played big. He had good run after catch. I think he's extremely underrated, and I think a lot of it has to do with the school that he's coming from. But if he can go to the combine and he can run well, uh, there might be something there. And, I, I again, I don't know if he will be a Shanahan guy. I don't know how what his three-cone is going to be. But that is somebody that I've kind of looked at and like, you know what, I, I like this dude's game, and it's really consistent. So that's somebody I think he'd definitely be there in the second round, maybe third, maybe fourth. I mean, you kind of never know how this whole drafting folds out, but that that is somebody I really like. Right, and, and I, I, I like that you said maybe third or maybe fourth. I mean, I don't know if he's going to last that long, and like you said, you don't know either. But, you know, the the, the 49ers definitely, you know, they, they have the Seattle Seahawks to look towards who traded back like five times in last year's draft and took like one pick and turned it into like six. And it, and it was, and they were all, you know, they, they were, some of them were later rounders, but they, they ended up, you know, taking a draft class very similar to the 49ers that didn't have a lot of capital there and turned it into a, an abundance of picks. And with the 49ers, one thing that kind of benefits them is, is they don't have a lot of spots up for grabs. You know, they don't have a lot of weaknesses right now. Now, obviously when you're drafting, you have to be looking ahead to the future and who's going to depart and, and who's, you know, who's sticking around and stuff like that. But the 49ers don't have a lot of weaknesses, so they can, you know, sort of entertain the idea of trading back and drafting players that they feel like are going to be quality backups, at least at the start, or guys that they're comfortable having a year to kind of develop behind somebody. So, you know, the the, the receiver talk is, is interesting because, like I said earlier, it could go either way. There there's If you were to tell me that you feel like the 49ers are perfectly set at receiver and don't need to draft a, a wide receiver this early, then I would say, okay, I understand that, and I, I can tell that you're assuming that everything with that position group is going to be okay. Um, whereas if you told me that the 49ers should draft a receiver number 31, uh, I would also entertain that because there's a chance that, that it doesn't go that way, and they don't get Emmanuel Sanders back, and maybe you know a team makes a really big offer for Kendrick Bourne, and you know there's all kinds of different things. You know, maybe Trent right. talked about it earlier, so... Um, Croc, is there any anything else about the, uh, the the rookie receiver group that you want to touch on? No, that's it. Um, you know, I, I think more like what you touched on with the 49ers, they have a solid roster. Right now they need somebody that can be a contributor. Who can help 49ers get back to the postseason and possibly, a, you know, another deep playoff run? And, you know, it, it, I think looking at the 49ers offense, at times, it was a little limited, um, and some of it might have had to do with, you know, obviously Jimmy Garoppolo having growing pains within the 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 offense, but also, you know, receivers out there, you know, on, like who who on the 49ers at receiver can make the play that's that's not there, you know, and they could really use that type of guy. I don't think they have it. I think the guys right now that make plays within the context of the 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 play calling. And I think they're really good at that, whether it's Debo Samuel taking a slant 40 yards to the crib, you know, on the perfect pass, or, you know, George Kittle, you know, making guys miss. But who's who's going to be that guy where, man, you know, I can just throw it up and this is the guy that's going to come down with the ball. Or I can throw a five-yard stop route and this guy makes a guy miss and outruns everybody to the end zone. 49ers haven't had that guy. So I think this is a draft where – I think they have the potential to get that guy in. I think they, they met with Jefferson and Rieger at the combine already, so that's a sign there that they are looking into these guys. Tony Jefferson's an interesting uh, interesting one. He, he kind of has a, a, a good combination of, of a lot of the skill sets. You know, he's, he's not a bad route runner. He's a little on the bigger side. You know, I think he's about a 6'2 guy. And, you know, he's, he's, an, he's an interesting guy, too. He kind of possesses a, a little bit of the, the traits, a little bit of everything. Nothing – too dominant, nothing that stands out too yeah. much. But he, he's Jefferson, got a lot. Of, he remind me. He remind me of a lot of Stevie Johnson. Dude, if somebody reminds like, you of Stevie Johnson, then the Forty ers better take him because Stevie Johnson <laughs> is one of my favorite receivers of all time. 
Yeah, you know, really quick, um, short area burst and everything. Um, maybe not like a burner, but, you know, works well over the middle in traffic. You know, can get some separation outside. Uh, you know, I just not the guy that's going to, you know, outrun everybody, but, you know, he was really solid with contested catches. My thing, especially with LSU receivers, is their quarterback in that system fit them so well. I try to look at other guys. Hey, what if what if this guy was in that system? How would he have done? And then I compare that to maybe a guy like Jefferson. Right. And, and Joe Burrow's about to go number one overall, and it's it's not even close. Right. So you know, I I kind of look at that like, man, what would Michael Pittman have been in that type of offense? What would you know? Even you know, what would a uh, Ayuk uh, from uh, Arizona State? You know, instead of catching passes from a true freshman, Daniels. What would he have been at LSU with that quarterback? And and I think that that when I look at that and like their ability, that's why I have some of those guys bumped up ahead of Jefferson from LSU. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And and like I said earlier, I think this might be just the start of of Crocker and I kind of taking a deeper dive into the 49ers position groups and and you know doing our homework every week on what what is out there. Now when we get to like the the O linemen and and stuff like that. It might be a little harder for us because it's definitely not our, our forte. But we'll try it. You know, we're 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 not out here peddling ourselves to be subject matter experts on it on everything draft. But but we're definitely going to. I, I try. do have one. I do have one thing I want to say real quick. Do it. Um, j- just just because I'm not high on the guy doesn't mean that I don't think that he can be a good pro. And I think some people like they kind of mistake that, or they get that confused with like, you know, I. Like, I, I might not be high on the guy, but I always believe that athletes, man, they, they're made to prove people wrong. And Chanel or Rieger, man, they can go and they can light up the NFL, and I wouldn't be surprised. I just wouldn't take them over some of the other guys that I mentioned. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if those guys had, you know, legit NFL careers. Well, the one thing I'll add to that, and especially since it was a conversation between you and I, I don't remember if this was before striking gold or not. It might have been. I can't remember. But you, you, when the 49ers drafted Jalen Hurd, um, we instantly started sending messages back and forth because we were kind of like watching his stuff at the same time. Neither of us had really put all that much energy into watching him before the pick. And then bef- literally within about a half hour's time, we were like, wow, dude, this guy might actually be something special. And, you know, I, I think to your point, just because you're not high on someone, one, doesn't mean they can't succeed. And two, it's still February. You know, you right. might take a deeper dive into some of these guys and, and maybe you see something you didn't or you warm up to somebody. Like opinions change, opinions evolve, and, you know, we'll see how the combine goes and, and pro days and stuff like that. And You never know. Things just things change. So that's it for us for today. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. You know, it's always nice to talk receivers, and I'm sure we're going to work our way back towards him as we get closer to the draft and you know maybe some things come out that mean the 49ers might be taking a closer look at him than we thought. Um, as always, I appreciate you guys for, for being here, for listening, for being a part of Striking Goal. Um, it means a lot to Crocker and I. It's just it's just been fun doing this, and without you guys listening, there'd be no point. We wouldn't be able to do it. So, um, again, quick shout-out to uh, betonline.ag, our, our sponsor, and make sure you sign up with them. Again, if you use the code... Blue Wire, they, they know, literally know that you were listening to the podcast when you heard it. So don't be afraid to jump on there, even if you're not planning on spending big. Um, and I think that about does it. Again, appreciate you guys. Uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be hitting you guys again next week with a different position group, some different draft prospects, and, and that's, this should kind of guide us forward. I'm sure we'll, uh, as we get close to the free agency, we might hit that a little bit more too. But right. thing. it's always different. But uh, that is, that's it for, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rob underscore Louder and you can find Crocker at Eric underscore Crocker and that's uh, that's another week at Striking Gold we are signing out everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.